Good morning, Faith Bridge. How's everyone doing? Good, good. If we've not met, my name is Steve Carter, and I love, love, love what God is doing at this church. Um, as we are about to dive into the book of Acts, if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. One of our ushers would love to give you one. But um, I, I landed yesterday. I live in Chicago now. I land yesterday. I get to the hotel. I start talking to someone over a meal. I say, what are you going to do tomorrow, this weekend? And the person says to me, well, I got tickets to go see Beyonce. I said, oh, the queen bee. And, she's, and, and they say, yep. And then they said this line, I couldn't believe it, but I'm on the fence. On the fence to go see Beyonce? Yeah, it's just so much silver and glitter and it's just too much. And I'm like, but she's from Houston. He's like, yeah, it does, I just, I'm on the fence, on the fence. I was like, wow. I went up to my room, I started to think about that. I was like, that's such a fascinating answer. You bought the ticket, the ticket's worth a bunch of money right now, especially in Houston, and you're on the fence. Jimbo Fisher, we're on the fence, aren't we? <laughs> Texas Rangers winning the division on the fence. Like there's like, you start thinking about this, how many areas in our life are we on the fence? Idea of on the fence, the whole meaning of that phrase was when somebody was too scared to make a decision. And oftentimes it was around politics. Too afraid to put themselves out there and say, this is what I believe. This is what I stand for. And I think we're living in a time right now where many, many people, good, sincere people, are on the fence. And you know, Luke writes the gospel of Luke. And he also writes this book that we know as the Acts of the Apostles. And he writes it to one man who's on the fence. Theophilus. In the beginning of Luke, he says, I want you to know with certainty so that you can stand and know what Jesus was all about. And when he writes Acts, you have to understand Acts was written by one man, about one man, Jesus, one Holy Spirit, one growing church for one man, Theophilus, so that he would get off the fence, that he would know with certainty and believe. Now, when Acts happens... We know Acts chapter 2, scholars would say that happens sometimes, Acts chapter 2, somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D. And I'm just going to do a quick little blitz right here. Is once you get to Acts chapter 10, where the Spirit of God begins to just work in ways that the Jewish people can't even believe, that Peter can't even believe, because the Spirit has entered into a Gentile's house. And as a Jewish boy, you were taught to never go into a Gentile's house. And this happened, scholars say, at 40 A.D. So somewhere between 10 and 7 years later, this idea of this growing sense of the Spirit. And now we're going to look at Acts chapter 22. And Acts 22 happened, scholars say, between 58 and 60 A.D. And so this, this book of Acts, even though we flip a chapter each week as we've been walking through this, I want you to know that many, many years have gone by. And what you have in the book of Acts is one central tension. And here it is. 
Temple people versus spirit people. And the temple people were like, it looks a certain way. This is how we do it. This is how we've always done it. This is where the certain people sit. This is where the certain people act. This is where the, where the, the other people can come. They can just look at it. But like, this is, this is how it works. We have order. We have order. We have order. And we know by our behavior that we are good. We are temple people. And we all know because we are gospel people that when Jesus died... And he rose on Easter all of a sudden when he died, had this moment where the temple curtain where the spirit of God was in the most holy of holy place. And it symbolized that the spirit was out. In Acts chapter 2, you see the spirit of God, Pentecost, is now available. And all of a sudden, it's like the Jewish disciples, these Jesus people, these first Jesus people are waking up to the idea like, oh my goodness, the spirit of God is for them too. And the book of Acts is, is really working through this tension. I used to be a temple person, but now I'm a spirit person. And the spirit actually dwells in this temple. And you see even Paul early on, when he was known as Saul, he, he, was, he was basically given permission to try and get all of the spirit people back into the temple way of doing things. And you just see all of this happening, chapter after chapter after chapter. Who will you be? Temple people or spirit people? And all of the temple people, were, many of them were on the fence. I can see it. I can see it. I can feel it. I get it. But man, this is what I can control. And in Acts 22, Paul comes back to Jerusalem. And people had been hearing about what he'd been doing. And he'd been preaching to Gentiles. And all of a sudden, there was this whole idea and word about Paul. Oh, man, you know what this guy does? This guy preaches against Moses. And all of the Jewish people were like, oh, my goodness, I can't stand this man. And so... Paul ends up going into the temple because he wants to go and, and, and give his sense of sacrifice and worship. And, and, and when he's there, all of a sudden there's rumors that start to swirl that that Paul brought Gentiles into the temple. How dare he? And a riot begins to kick up. And all of a sudden it was like, how, how, how? And they start making up these stories that Paul brought Gentiles into the temple, which he didn't. And so... Because Roman occupation was like controlling the temple and controlling the Jews to make sure that they behaved, they get involved and they arrest Paul. And in Acts chapter 22, we're going to walk through his kind of recounting of how he went from a temple person to a spirit person. How he himself got off the fence. And then we'll see what that means for us. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 22. If you have a small black Bible, it's page 897. We'll begin with this, verse 3. Paul begins to speak, and you know how he speaks? He speaks in Aramaic, because the Jewish people actually think he's a Gentile in this moment. And he speaks in Aramaic, and everyone goes silent. And in Aramaic, he says these words, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Rabbi Gamaliel 
and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. What's Paul saying? I'm one of you. I was once one of you. I get it. I didn't understand this whole Jesus thing. I didn't understand the whole Holy Spirit. I didn't understand what God was doing, his redemptive plan for humanity. I didn't get it. And I was like you. And then he says this, verse 6, but about noon, as I came near Damascus, which is 150 miles away from Jerusalem, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 8, who are you, Lord, he, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. I'll stop right there and real quick. I think it's amazing is sometimes when we actually sin against another, Jesus actually feels like we're persecuting him. Not just, not just actually hurting another person, but Jesus is like, oh, you're persecuting me. It's been revolutionary for my sin patterns, for me to understand it's not just what I'm saying about them, but by me saying this about them, I'm actually persecuting Jesus. And this kind of like wakes Paul up. It says this, verse 9, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me which is what led to the song, Blinded by the Light. Verse 12, a man, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout believer, an observer of the law, and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And I love this. I love this so much. Verse 16. Ananias says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And verse 17, he says, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance, a trance. The word trance in Greek is the word ecstasy. And, and it literally means to actually be inside your body, but be outside your body. And what you'll see in the book of Acts is you'll see that people will have dreams. And when you have a dream, they're sleeping. When you have a vision, you're awake. But when you have a trance, it's like you are going through your day. And all of a sudden, outside of you, you are observing something that's happening within you. And Paul details where he saw the Lord speaking to him. 
He says, quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Verse 19, Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I've been thinking a lot about this because Ananias must have observed Something in Saul, who we now know as Paul. I think he must have observed Saul being in his head going, man, I, I, I killed Stephen. I, I've been persecuting. Who's going to actually believe me? And, and he's probably wondering, how did all of this take place? I mean, I was coming on my horse with soldiers and pride and power to shut this thing down. And then I went blinded. And in this moment, you're watching Saul retell the story of how he went from a temple person to a spirit person. But it's in this moment where you see Ananias seeing him on the fence, wavering. And then he says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And I've been a pastor for about 25 years, and I've been fascinated because so many people come into my office, so many people I'll sit with, so many people who will make decisions to come to faith or get baptized. And sometimes the question I want to ask them is, what took you so long? Why, why now is usually how I say it. And I'll often hear these Profound stories, but I, I find myself realizing that so many good, sincere people just wait. And so I, I just want to share with you uh, the top six reasons why I have come to discover why people wait to believe. And maybe this might help you. And maybe this might speak to some of you who are sitting in a situation where maybe you're on the fence. The number one reason why many people wait to believe is they're too entrenched in their ways. Too entrenched in their ways. And they have this kind of thought process that goes through their mind. They're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe someday when I can get my act together, when I can like clean up my life, then, 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 then I will be ready for faith. And it's like the antithesis of faith. The truth is, none of us will never, ever be ready. Like, were any of you ready to be a parent? Were any of you ready to actually be married? I mean, I think some of us say we wanted to be, but, but all of a sudden, the first day you woke up and you were like, oh my goodness, I, uh, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. You're given a title that you'll spend the rest of your life living into and up to. You're a mother, you're a wife, you're a disciple. But some of us are too entrenched, as Clay taught us recently, in our idols. I gotta get my work right, I gotta get my money right, I gotta get this area right. If I could just clean myself up just enough, then I'll be good. And I'm here to tell you that's not how the gospel works. 
A second, second reason that I find that most people wait to believe is that they think to themselves, what will my friends think? What will my friends think? I was on staff at a very large church in Chicagoland for a number of years, and we did a baptism service, and um, someone uh, set up an appointment. And it was interesting because they were on staff at the church, and they set up an appointment with my assistant, and, and, and they, they, they ended up like coming into my office. And, and, and I remember, I'll never forget this. This, this, this woman looked at me, and she said, about this baptism thing. I said, yeah, are you excited? It's going to be awesome. Like I, I, I made an assumption that she was excited about it. And um, she's like, I, I kind of. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, nobody knows this, but like, I'm on staff here, but I've never been baptized. I was like, oh, okay, well, let's get baptized. And she's like, well, I think everybody thinks I've gotten baptized already. And I'm like, so what's preventing you from getting baptized is what other people think? She's like, I don't like the way you said that, but yes. <laughs> I think it's fascinating, right? I think sometimes for some of us, if we're really, really honest, some of us are actually leaders here in this church. And we've said yes to Jesus but we've actually never been baptized. And I'm curious why. And I think some of us are like, well, I don't really want to get up in front of people. I don't really want to enter into that, 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 that body of water. I, I don't want people to, I don't want the attention to be on me. But I think for some of us, it's deep down. It's a, I think people already think I did it. And one of the most like profoundly powerful moments and a baptism moment is when people get up and they just don't care what anybody else thinks except one man Jesus and there's something that is so moving if you've ever been in a baptism service and you've seen people come forward it just moves me because I, I know we live in a world where we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. But man, the heart of the gospel is it's not about what anybody thinks about you. Because none of us can save you. Only he can. And it's not what my friends think. It's only what Jesus thinks. The third reason I find that often people wait to believe is no Ananias shows up. And Paul, Paul probably would have lived in that tension of, I'm a murderer. I'm a persecutor. I'm a violent man. There's no way the God who is love, who sent his one and only son to walk this earth, who I have been working relentlessly and tirelessly to shut him down and his movement down. There's no way until an Ananias said, what are you waiting for? Can you imagine Faith Bridge? If we felt that sense of conviction and fire and urgency, knowing that so many people in Klein and Cyprus and Spring and all around greater Houston, many people are drifting and they need an Ananias in the school. They need an Ananias in the work space. They need an Ananias in the neighborhood. They need you 
not to save them, but to introduce them to the one who can. And I'll tell you what. The single greatest gift you can give any human is an introduction to the God who loves them. No other gift is actually going to last past this life except that introduction. And oftentimes, many of us, if we're honest, we're on the fence. I don't know if my story, I don't know if I know how to do it. I don't know, I don't know. And so what do we do? We stay quiet. But in our name, Faith Bridge, we are to be a bridge so that people can cross over and experience life and life to the full. I think the fourth, the fourth reason many, many people choose to wait to believe is they say this to me. Steve, I know what I've done. I know, I know what I'm currently doing right now. I know the patterns of sin. I know the thoughts in my mind. I know the addictions that I have. I know the struggles that are real. And I've sat with people in my office. I've sat with people over coffee. I've sat with people in my home. I've sat with people around a fire pit. I've sat with people. And so often I will hear people say, man, I don't think God could love me. And then I simply say, stop. And they usually look at me. The reason I'm telling you to stop is you've changed the gospel. And they're usually like, why? What do you mean? Because you've now made the gospel based on what you've done or what you're doing, not on what he has done. And I think for so many of us, why we stay on the fence is because we don't have a clear understanding of the gospel. And you've heard me say this before. Religion spells Christianity, D-O. It's what I do for God. It's what I do, it's what I do, it's what I do, it's what I do, it's what I do. And how I do what I do will make me lovable. That's how the world teaches religion. But Christianity is not spelled D-O, it's spelled D-O-N-E. What was done for me? What was done for you? And even if you are in the pit, even if you are struggling, if your marriage is on the rocks, even if you can't seem to get yourself out of your financial issues or addiction or you have thoughts or you've done whatever, it does not matter what you've done. The gospel is about what he has done for you. And that should bring every one of us to our knees saying thanks be to God because if it was one, what I have done, I can't earn my way out. The only way is to receive my way in. The sixth reason that many people often don't, often find themselves waiting to believe is they don't want to be associated with hypocrites. I hear that all the time. I don't want to be associated with hypocrites. I was like, well, sorry. None of us are perfect. We're all in process. 
And you know what? It's just how it is. And we're all people that should be trying, yes. We're all people who want to grow and surrender, hopefully. We're all people who are recognizing our sin and trying to open our life to sanctification. Yes, I get that. But none of us have arrived. And I often will tell people, hey, um, if, if you don't want to be associated with this group of hypocrites, you can go be associated with those people. But they're hypocrites too. None of us, none of us, none of us. And again, it's not about us. It's about what he has done for us. I think what's so amazing is in these moments, you can even see it in Paul. Paul's just going, oh my goodness, like, I was once one of you. I mean, I grew up under the rabbi, Gamaliel. I, I understand. I know what I did. I was a temple person. Now I'm going to be part of this group. And how are people going to see me and understand me? And sometimes that can just get in our mind. But I'll tell you, the more that that gets in your mind, the more you're just going to drift, the more that we have to center our lives and our hearts solely on is, what does God think about me? What does Christ think about you? Where do you really find your identity? And then lastly, the last one is that I think that for many of us, the sixth reason why many of us wait to believe is simply this. We're afraid of what's on the other side. Sometimes people say, see, but the reason I don't want to be a believer is I'm afraid that once I do that, God's going to make me give all my money away. And God's going to make me go on the mission field. And God's going to make me do this. And God's going to make me do this. And, and, and it's amazing. It's like people will come into my office and they'll say this. And, and I just simply say like, oh, that's fascinating. But you know what I know? That for most people, what's on the other side is actually day by day having a man who walked this earth in pure perfection with you. With you. He's your peace. He's your rock. He's your reminder. He's someone who can help you anchor your life in what is true. He's about righteousness and justice and peace and love and grace and truth. He, he is the model for how we can live. And, and he's with you don't have to like jump to all of these other stories of what might happen. Who knows what God might do? But what I often find is that God doesn't just take us someplace. He actually takes us from the space we once were. And he says, go now redeem that. Go bring hope to what you once were. And I just found myself this week just praying. And I love you all. This question that just kept lingering over and over and over and over again is, I think some of you, are on the fence. Maybe some of you have given your life to Jesus. But maybe there's another issue in your life. You just haven't been able to wave the white flag of surrender like, I need help. I need prayer. 
I need a miracle. So you're just on the fence going, yeah, I give you my faith, God, but I'm still going to hold this thing for me. And I think if Ananias was here, he'd look at you and he'd grab you by the shoulders and he'd say brother or sister. And then he'd look at you eye to eye and say, what are you waiting for? I think some of you, you've been checking out Faithbridge for a while. You come in seven minutes late. It's all right. No bad. Because the donuts and the coffee are good. You walk in. You sit in the back. You're just observing the whole thing. You kind of lounge. You know, if we're really, really honest, you're on the fence about me right now. But, like, you're sitting here, and you're, like, you're, you're taking it all in. And, and, and you like what this church is about. You like their teaching. You like the understanding of Jesus. And you're just kind of with one hand a bit of a wall and the other hand just like this. And I just have the sense that if Ananias could look you in the face today, he'd say, what are you waiting for? And there comes a moment in every person's life where they got to decide, am I going to stay on the fence which is safe and where I have control? Or am I going to stay in the temple where it's all centered and I understand what to expect and I am in control? Or am I going to get off the fence and actually go on this journey with Jesus and the Spirit? Or I'm going to give him access to every spot in my heart, every precious real estate in my mind and in my body. And there comes a moment, there comes a moment where every one of us, you have to wrestle with it. And Ananias is looking at Saul and he says, what are you waiting for? Get up. And this is like resurrection Easter language. Get up. Be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And I think today, because I love the gospel, I love good news, there is no better story. But I think for some of us, man, we have been living for the wrong stuff. We have been chasing it. We have been bowing down to it. We can't seem to get ourselves out of our own way. And thanks be to God, God gave us a way. And here's the question, what are you waiting for? And I think for some of you, you need to get up and say, I got to give my life to Jesus. I love what is happening on college campuses right now. Even at Auburn, kids are getting baptized. Texas A&M, kids are getting baptized. But what about the church? There comes a moment where, man, we as the church got to say, man, you know what? God, I need you. I hunger for you. I thirst for you. I need you. I need you in my marriage. I need you with my kids. I need you in my future. I need you with my finances. I need you with my addictions. I need you. And if you're like me, sometimes we could just keep it cool on the seats. Yeah, I sort of do. Here's what I'm going to ask, whether in this room or in the communion service. I think that there's three types of people here. 
I think that there's the cynics, those that are curious, and those that are convinced. And to the convinced, where do you still need them right now? And to the curious, are you willing to get up and say, I need to be baptized? I need to come to faith. And for some of you, you need to be, come to faith. There's going to be a QR code. They'd love to help you and tell you all about that. I mean, I'm telling you, man, like, what are you waiting for? And for some of you, for some of you who are more cynical, like this, walls up, just watching. It takes one person to look you in the eye and say, what are you waiting for? If you get up and you recognize that you can't do it on your own, that you need to call on the name of the Lord, that through him he will wash your sins away and you can actually experience freedom and peace for the very first time. What are you waiting for? And so if you're one of those three people, convinced, but man, there's an area in your life that you're like, ah, I still need to invite Jesus into this, the spirit into this. I need help for this and invite you to get up. If you're one of the curious people who have not yet been baptized or even your convinced person who have not yet been baptized, maybe for you, you got to get up and say, I, I need to do this. What are you waiting for? Or maybe you're a cynic and you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But you're going to have to come to a moment where you're going to say, I'm going to get off this fence. I'm going to make a decision and I'm going to open my life. And if you're any one of those three people right now, I'm going to invite you to stand because I'd love just to say a prayer for you. And if you're in the communion service, I can't see you, but I believe you're there. If that's you, you can stand. It just says simply, get up. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Anyone else, just say, man, this is, yeah. I just need more of the Spirit of God in my life. I need more of His presence. There's this area I just can't seem to solve on my own. I need some help. Yeah. And if you're near one of these people, would you maybe just extend a hand? And those in the communion service, if you're near someone, would you just extend a hand? If you don't know them, don't, don't scratch their back. That's just weird. <laughs> would you extend a hand? It's just us just saying, man, God, whatever you're doing, we want more of it. The Spirit of God, we just come upon you. We, come, we ask that you come upon my friends here. We don't want to be just temple people who are in control. We want to walk in that journey of surrender. Walk in that way of your Spirit guiding and leading us. And God, I pray for the convinced that they would continue to open up their life to you. To the curious that they would try on what it means to have you running point and control of their life. That they would begin to look at the flesh and say, I, I, I know I want this, but man, you've shown me a better way. And for the cynics to see that what they've built their life on isn't working either. And God, I pray right now that in their own heart, in their own mind, they would see the beauty and the mystery of the gospel. That you came, you died, 
You rose so that we may have life and life to the full. To set us free. And I pray that my friends in this room or watching online or in the communion service would know that you came to set us free. It's not what we do, but what has been done for us by you and through you. So God, we love you. We love this church. We pray in your one holy name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.